from Clutch Points, the Strickland, and host of the Locked On Knicks podcast, Alex Wild Wild Wolf. And I'm your host, the Tuesday, November 16th, 1.04 p.m. We have just come off a very, very, uh, I guess, comforting Knicks victory against the Pacers. Somewhat reassuring after a stretch of games where they did not look quite so good and kind of hard to put our finger on exactly what's going wrong. Uh, which maybe we'll 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 try to we'll try to put some fingers on it today. Um, so, uh, thank you both for joining me. Um, congrats, Alex. I don't think we've talked since you started the Clutch Points gig. Oh yeah, thank you. Yep. So, I guess even before last night and maybe the first half of last night, um, Alex, what would you say if you could describe like what? It, what has been the problem with the Knicks starting on offense? Um, I mean, the I feel like it's mostly on offense. The problems to me have been stagnation, uh, lack of ball movement, and you know, just generally abandoning what we saw kind of work for them earlier in the season. And uh, you know, I thought that last night's first half, especially, uh, was a really good step in the right direction there. Now, obviously they didn't, they weren't hitting their shots as well as we know that they can. Um, you know, they were like of nine from three in the first quarter and wound up shooting, I think overall for the game, like 32% or something, but they also played clamp down defense, which kind of mitigated that. So it was kind of similar to like last year's Nixon away in that respect, uh, in that, you know, they scored under 100 points, but they held the other team to under 90. So it, it worked out OK. Um, but like generally with the offense right now, I just think it's if things don't work out immediately, which like sometimes they'll run a good set or two to start a game. But if shots don't start falling immediately, then they devolve into this iso ball where it just kind of turns into your turn, my turn. And usually it's Kemba, Julius, Kemba, Julius, Kemba, Julius. And, you know, when that's not working then they really struggle, which we sort of saw like at the beginning of the uh, the most recent Bucks game. And then at the beginning of the, the Hornets game, you know, Julius Randle in one game, I think scored like 13 points against the Bucks in the first quarter or something like that. And then Kemba Walker scores 17 against the Hornets in the first quarter. And it was them just sort of going back and forth. You know, it was them just sort of taking over, I should say, in those first quarters. But then once those particular guys shots stopped falling to that degree, then they wound up not having great games overall. Um, and, and the Knicks as a whole suffered because they just didn't know what to do once, once those guys weren't scoring anymore. So, yeah, I think that's, if I had to diagnose it, I think that's, it's basically ball movement. And like Derek Rose talked about on practice 
uh, after practice, I should say, on Sunday that the starters really seem to be prioritizing ball movement and stuff like that in practice. And then we saw that sort of play out in that Pacers game, even though the shots weren't falling initially, I think the process was really good. And, and the guys were looking for each other and generating a lot of open looks that they just ultimately were missing. If all these guys get back to the level that they can be at individually, then if, if they're working together as a team like that to generate those looks, I think things will come around sooner than later. Yeah, I think I'll, and I think a lot of it depends on Julius and his decision-making. Because last year, what was so special about him was his passing out of the double team and his assists jumping up to six point something per game. And in the last few stretches of games, in the last few, la- the stretch of the last few games, it does seem like he's hesitating a bit on whether to pass it or to do some iso ball. And, um, you know, I wonder, you know, John, we've kind of talked about what the ceiling of this Knicks team is. Um, do you think there is a level for Julius Randle to go where he can be a good decision maker? Or do you think that's something that'll always kind of hold them back? I mean, I wouldn't bet against him because he's a hard, he's a hard worker and I think he really wants it. I mean, I mean, you hate to say like, Oh, last year was a contract year Mm -hmm. and he really was awesome. And now he's got this big extension and he's just kind of, you know, but I mean, I, that that would be a cynical way of looking at. It. But I think I think he's gonna I think he's gonna be all right. I do. I don't I don't think this is a um, championship caliber team. But I don't think anyone does. I think the eyes should be you know a few years down the road, um, and continuing continuing to win and develop, like win and develop um, RJ and develop the you know whatever young talent decide is is going to emerge, you know, whether it's OB or quickly or whoever's going to be there in a couple of years. Um, I think, I think it's, I think it's, I think they're doing fine. I don't think there's cost repairing. I think the subs have been great. And I think I, I just, I worry when Derek Rose is doing really well, that Tibbs is going to be like, okay, okay. It's going to be all Derek Rose. Now, you know, he's going to, he's going to start like Tibbs just Tibbs loves that guy. Yeah, well, with good reason, he's he's been I, great this year. He is, but he's year. not he's not the future. Obviously, Kemba's not the future either. Um, but I don't know. I just worry. You know, my thing about Tibbs is I love I love Tibbs because he he wins games. But I don't I don't know how future focused he is. <laughs> yeah, well, he's definitely not future focused because right. You know, That's, I don't think he even knows what load management means, but. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean the contract year stuff, like I, I definitely don't question Julius's work ethic and like that he was no, just trying. I don't, not at all. Um, and, and in terms of development, RJ, like it, it is disappointing that he struggled so much these past few games because he, he had these breakout moments in the early part of the season, maybe games like three through six or something where, it's like, oh, this is the ceiling where he's able to drive and mm-hmm. finish at the rim and he's hitting threes at a good clip and he's playing shutdown defense and stopping DeMar DeRozan on a on a on a potential game winning shot. Um, Alex, are you concerned at all about RJ and the way he's playing or um, do you think it's a short term thing that can be fixed? 
I think it's kind of a, a short-term thing. And I think that it's, I think that RJ's play, you know, or his lack of success uh, lately is maybe the most emblematic thing of the lack of like team cohesion in the starting lineup. Cause I, I think unlike, and, and we've sort of seen this with Fournier too, right? Um, I think that unlike Julius or Kemba, like RJ, and then you could also say Fournier are not like monoliths on offense. Like they're not guys that you just kind of give the ball to and say, okay, ISO it and figure it out. You know, at least RJ's not there yet. At his best, when he's really feeling it, he can exhibit some of those things, like some of the pull-up shooting and the pull-up three-pointer step backs, whatever. Like he's working on that sort of stuff. But as of right now, he's not a guy that you kind of just hand the ball to and say, figure it out. And so in that regard, I think that when, you know, the the Knicks play sort of devolves into your turn, my turn ball, it harms him probably the most of anybody because he's at his best when you can sort of get him into a rhythm and, you know, kind of work like work him into getting some shots and, um, you know, give him like spot up opportunities, those little pet sets with Mitch, like the little uh, pistol set that they, that they run a lot at the beginning of games, things like that. And they just haven't been doing that sort of thing lately. And it's been showing in, you know, RJ's play that just, he looks like he's not comfortable. He looks like every time he does touch the ball lately, he looks like he's overthinking it, which is a symptom of like thinking too much because he doesn't know when he's going to touch it again. At least, you know, that's my, my outside take on it. And, uh, you know, so I, I think that the team, the team concept is, is very vital to his success going forward. And especially like this year, you know, where this seems like a key developmental year where he's going to be hopefully taking the step from a player that's, I won't say completely dependent on others, but very dependent on his teammates to generate looks for him and, you know, to set him up to succeed into a player that can sort of do that for himself, but it's going to be a process. So we're sort of seeing that play out in real time where in the first number of games where the Knicks were moving the ball better and, you know, they're swinging it around the perimeter. It was helping RJ. It was helping Fournier who does well with catch and shoot opportunities and, and those opportunities where he sort of gets the ball quick and then gets to make a quick twitch decision about whether to, you know, put it on the floor quick around a screen or take a quick pull up shot, whatever, you know, RJ kind of goes through those same things. And as of right now, he can't be part of that. Well, he he can on his best days be part of that your turn, my turn thing. But by and large, you want to kind of get him going early with the stuff that he's used to. And then later on in the game, maybe challenge him to, you know, do something on his own, which he sort of did in like the Pelicans game when he scored the 36 points. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's temporary. And, you know, we also we've, We've had these same discussions about RJ literally last year uh, through the first 15 or so games of the season. And then he shot like 45% from three and, and just crushed the rest of the year. So clearly he's very resilient uh, as a, as a basketball player. So I'm not super, super worried about this, but you know, maybe get back to me in like 10 games. And if he's still really not looking good, then maybe we're starting to see like, okay, this is a problem, but I still think it would speak more to a problem with the team more so than him individually. Um, because we've seen that in the right environment, he could definitely thrive. Yeah. Th- that seems like the biggest problem for the Knicks right now is it's it not sure 
what they're supposed to be doing on offense, like whether it's supposed to be Kemba driving it or Julius Isoball or or a running set plays. Um, yeah, and, and I guess the idea and what they've done well is when they've kind of moved to a pace and space kind of thing where it's like, okay, kick out. If you have a lane to drive, do that, Fournier. And then if not, you pass to somebody else. But they're just not quite sure. I don't know. That's that's kind of how I see it. Um, do, do you think, like, if maybe they had a bit more structure there, that would help RJ out? If, like, it was like, okay, Kemba, you're the point guard. You kind of take over for now. Yeah, but I, I think that I, I don't think I want to take the ball out of Julius Randle's right. hands like that either. Right. I think that they need to work in some more variety. And I think, you know, that's probably part of some of it too. You know, Tibbs, Tibbs has said, you know, recently, like it's bullshit that it takes, you know, X not 20 games or whatever <laughs> for a new starting lineup to figure out their groove. But I, I don't think it necessarily is. I think we've seen this play out a million times before, right? When you, when you insert a new high usage player, like a Kemba Walker, onto a team with an existing high usage player that was used to doing things a certain way, which Julius Randle was like, you know, again, he was a monolith last year. Like he was, he was the Knicks offense by and large, you know, he generated pretty much every look that they got was, was via him drawing the defense in and, and finding someone, you know what I mean? And so he's getting used to that new reality. Kemba's getting used to the reality that sometimes he's going to be that, that supplementary player. Julius is getting used to the fact that, Sometimes maybe he'll go back to being a pick and roll guy again, you know, more so than a, a guy who's handling the ball and running the offense. And I, I do think that they need some time to figure that out. Now, if you get beyond like 20 games, you know, then maybe you're, you're talking about, you know, okay, maybe there's a little bit of cause for concern here. Uh, and, you know, they really need to work on something to get this, get this right. But I think that it's reasonable, you know, for, for teams to go through these sort of growing pains and they add, I mean, it, it wasn't even just one guy. They added essentially two guys that have at times been the, the primary scorers on their teams. Uh, Evan Fournier with the Magic, as good as Vucevic was, Fournier was their main like shot creator a lot of times on those teams with the Magic. And, you know, even though he spent half the season with the Celtics last year, that's that's his most of his playing career experience as being like the primary scorer or like the go-to wing scorer on any given team. And now he's adjusting to being like the third or fourth option. Kemba is adjusting to being the second through third or fourth option any given night. Um, Julius is adjusting to, he might be a second option some nights, you know, if other guys are playing well. And I think that just takes time. I mean, we've seen that literally with some of the best teams in history, you know, like the Miami Heat with LeBron, Wade, and Bosch. People forget, but they were like eight and nine in their first 17 nine games or something. Nine and eight, yeah. Nine and eight, sorry, yeah. And people were freaking out and saying like, wow, this is supposed to be a, a title team. You know, they were going to win not five, not six, not seven, whatever. <laughs> and, you know, and, and of course they did only win two, which I still think was pretty low <laughs> given the <laughs> talent level of that team. But, you know, I, I mean, we've seen teams go through this before where you add these new players and no matter the talent level, it's going to, there's going to be an adjustment period. And uh, I think, we as fans just kind of need to be patient in many respects while also holding them to the standard of like, look, if you guys are still figuring out on offense, fine, but don't let that affect your defense and don't let that affect, you know, the things you already do well, just work on the things that you need to, 
you know, fine tune. And so I, you know, there's like a fine line there as fans of how to treat the whole thing. Um, but yeah, I, I think, I think it, to get back to the, the original point, um, I don't necessarily think that Kemba needs to be like the 100% like Charlotte Kemba for this to work or for it to work for him or for RJ or for Julius or for anybody else. I do think it would be beneficial to kind of create a system though, where guys know what to expect if any given person is bringing the ball down the floor. And that's where it seems like there's a little more confusion. So, you know, you also don't want to telegraph it and make it too, make it too predictable for opponents too, where they know like, Oh, if Kem is bringing it down, it's definitely going to be a high pick and roll and he's going to try to get into the lane. And they're going to try to kick it out to whoever, and whatever. And then, you know, you don't want to be so predictable if Julius has it, where it's like, oh, well, Julius Randall's about to ISO uh, and try to get into the lane. Don't throw a, a super hard double at him because he's going to pass it out, you know, and that's the only thing that he's ever going to do. You need to work in some wrinkles, but, you know, think about that in terms of, okay, now you have, if you have two, if you want to make it so that, that Randall or Kemba are your two primary ball handlers. Uh, then you have to work in that many more wrinkles for each of those player situations uh, of who's bringing the ball down the floor and whatever. And I'd be lying if I knew, if I said I knew like exactly what those things are, but like there, you know, it, it takes time is all that I know. And, and we've seen this play out a million times with a million different teams in the NBA, some of them at the highest possible level, not working out immediately, but ultimately like talent usually wins out as long as you have a good coach. And until further notice, I'm not, I I mean, for all their struggles, the Knicks are two games over 500 right now. So I'm not willing to put a label of like Tibbs isn't a good enough coach to get what needs to be got out of this roster on him yet. Because I think that ultimately we've seen when he really gets them to buy in like yesterday, the process is really, really good with this team. And, And I think they'll continue figuring it out and, eventually they'll hit their stride and that, you know, you guys were talking about expectations a minute ago. I don't think they're going to end up a, a top three team necessarily. Like I, I did have some delusions of grandeur, like before the season and, and during the hot start about like, Oh, maybe this team could finish top three this year, depending on how things work with some of the other top teams with injuries and, and that sort of thing. I don't know if I'm necessarily still there, but you know, I am, I, I do think that they're going to settle in, comfortably as like a mid-tier playoff seed and you know give some team a really tough run in the first round maybe even make it to the second round and then we'll see how things go from there yeah with with uh what you were talking about about mixing the different usage guys that's that's probably why the second unit has been clicking so well is because they kind of know what they're supposed to do that rose is really the high usage guy a little bit of quickly and burks but not there's no there's no Julius in addition to the point guard. It's really mostly point guard driven. Um, and given expectations, um, yeah, I almost feel like the seed they fit, we would, it would be a failure if they didn't make the playoffs, but as far as seeding goes, the, the East is so much better that if they, if they finished even like the sixth seed, I think it would be successful if they were playing well. But if they finished the sixth seed and we're playing kind of meh like they have been, then it's, it's a, it's not so great of a season. Um, switching to defense a bit. What do you think's been the struggle there, Alex? So I actually don't buy this whole 
narrative sort of that things are finally catching up to the Knicks and, mm-hmm. you know, their, their defense from last year was always flawed and regression was always going to happen, but it just took a whole season. Um, I do think that they've been, the main problem has been, and this was well on display in like the Bucks game, for example, is that they're way too willing like to sell out super, super hard on defending the paint, which has been kind of the hallmark of this defense uh, under Tibbs is funnel guys into the paint, handle your business in there. We have really good rim protectors in Mitchell Robinson, Nerlens Noel, and even Taj Gibson to a degree. I mean, he kind of does it in a different way where he just keeps guys from being able to comfortably get around the hoop more so than being like a mega elite shot blocker, but he does his own way of rim protection and they're all really good at it. So essentially the strategy is get guys into the lane. Now the the problem is, is that they haven't been so far this year uh, attacking the three point looks that other teams are generating. And I also just think, I mean, you could argue with some of them that they, they sort of were inviting danger, like Pat Connaughton, for example, like he's a good three point shooter. You shouldn't leave him open consistently, but a lot of what they've done has been kind of similar to last year, which I don't know. Some people didn't think this was the case, but when I was watching, I always kind of thought that there was a certain strategic aspect to who the Knicks were leaving wide open last year. Um, it felt like they had scouting reports on guys and would say, okay, um, player X on on the other team is a 30% three-point shooter, but they tend to shoot a decent amount. Let them shoot all game, even if they're wide open. Who cares? Like, because they're only a 30% three-point shooter, and they probably had the, you know, I mean, we have the data available to us. I'm sure they have the data available to them of, like, even on wide open threes, this person only shoots 35%. So if we give them just a light closeout, that should be enough to bother them and not have them, you know, burn us. But then we've seen a couple players this year just have completely outlier nights, which literally sunk the Knicks for entire games, like the Miles Turner explosion in the first game, seven to 10 shooting from three. He'll probably never do that again in his life. Uh, Ricky Rubio starting eight for eight from three and ending eight for nine. I mean, literally he's been in the league for almost 10 years now and has never once done that. Or has he been in the league 10 years? I don't know. It's been a long time. Um, It's been a while. Is he, is he really? Oh man. Wow. I'm getting old. Um, (laughs) but anyway, so like Ricky, Ricky Rubio, like until he grew out the grizzly man bun and beard was like perpetually like 21 years old to me for a long time. Um, but anyway, so like Rubio explodes for that for a career high by far in three point shooting for a guy who like this year was shooting, I think 25% from three or something going into that game. And it's like maybe a 30% three point shooter over his whole career or less. So I think there still is this certain strategy to who they're leaving open and they've just unfortunately gotten burned a few times and people uh, are using that to then be like, see, the strategy doesn't work, but I think it'll even itself out over time. Also like uh, my one guy at the Strickland, Jack Huntley wrote like a really good piece earlier this week where he sort of dove into the numbers of, you know, remember last year, people were also saying this is unsustainable for the Knicks. And through the first like 28 games or so, they were giving up like 25 wide open three point looks per game, wide open via, you know, the, the, uh, uh, what is it? Synergy or second spectrum or whatever tracking data. Uh, And, you know, so people were criticizing that and saying, oh, this is why regression is inevitable. And yet then once the Knicks sort of tightened up their defensive scheme and really got what Tibbs was asking them to do, suddenly that wide open number 
decreased to like 17 or 18 per game that they were giving up. And the Knicks defense, despite the percentages leveling out a bit, you know, like they, they went from giving up like 30% uh, from three early in the season to giving up 35%, which is about league average, uh, you know, for the back half of the season or the back, like two thirds, roughly of the season, you know, they went from doing that to giving up a higher amount, but less, less wide open attempts from three and thus their defense still held up regardless because they just kind of got the scheme together. I think there's a reasonable case to be made. Like you're adding two brand new players to this, to this system to extremely important players in terms of where they play on the court because they're backcourt mates. So like you're replacing the whole point of attack defense and asking them to learn something completely new and, you know, curtail open three point shots and stuff like that. It's going to take a little time. So I, I think we should probably circle around game 30 to start looking for, Oh, are the Knicks giving up less wide open attempts from three around then? And does it start getting more strategic? kind of like how it was last year with who they leave open and, you know, guys adjusting better to, to what Tibbs is asking as far as that. But yeah, in general, like the defense too, it's, it's been worrisome at times, but ultimately again, the Knicks are two games over 500, 14 games in that's, I think a solid four or five games better than they were last year at this time. Um, I think, I think they were four or sorry. I think they were six and eight, maybe, through 14 games. So I guess it's just a flip-flop result. So it's like a four-game swing one way or the other. Um, but like, you know, I, I think that y- y- you just have to kind of be patient with them and, and understand that even though there's been struggles, they're still playing this well. So if they can manage to put this together in the same way they did last year, then we might be looking at a team that gets quite a bit better because, you know, this team, their version of better last year was – becoming a 500 team for a while and then ripping off a nine game win streak. And all of a sudden that vaulted them up to the top of the standings. So it's, it's really, that's all it takes, you know, particularly with how much parity there is in the East this year is if they can just hover a few games over 500 or, you know, if they play at the same pace, let's say, you know, another 14 games from now, they're four games over 500. That'll probably be enough to keep them around that like six, seven seed in the East. And then all you got to do is rip off a good run and then boom, you might be right in the, the thick of the four seat conversation again. So um, I, I think they'll figure things out. I, I think that there's a lot of parallels to last year, but the luck has just gone from extremely lucky last year to extremely unlucky this year. And that's led to some of these like outlier games that, you know, some of these not so great three point shooters have had that literally are the difference between the Knicks right now being eight and six and 10 and four. You know, if you if you take away that Rubio game and that Turner game, they probably win both those games. And now you're looking at a totally different equation where if the Knicks are 10 and four right now, I think everybody's over the moon. So we'll see how how things go. But I, I think things will level level out pretty quickly. It's probably similar to their offense. The second unit has been good defensively because they're all players who've been there who were there last year and understand mm-hmm. the tip scheme versus For the sure. first unit, which is two new guys. And going back to uh, what their record is, this is what you were saying earlier, John, about them, that the big picture is still good. Um, Although you maybe have a little bit less expectations for what they could do this year. Um, But you would probably be happy to know that Obi has been playing really well defensively. I don't know if you've seen any of that. Yeah, Um, he's, I'm impressed. I'm an Obi fan. Um, I, you know, but 
I, yeah, I never, I just never thought he would win Tibbs over. Um, yeah. Like, I don't know. I didn't understand why he wasn't getting more playing time or at least more like, yeah, more run last year. Um, but yeah, he's been great. Yeah, that's still a little bit of a problem this year. And I think it's always going to be, I mean, the, the Knicks best player is a power forward and Obi's best position is power forward. So right, it's always going to be hard to get him on the court. But they play together a little bit more than they have last year. But yeah, I'm an Obi fan too. I think if I were to rank my like love for Knicks players right now, uh, RJ's still the guy I care most about. And I think Obi's number two. I don't know. Do you nice. have do you have a favorite Nick, John? Oh, definitely, definitely Obi. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I loved I loved Kemba from like way back. Like I um I just yeah I loved his game even all the way back to UConn. But um but he's I mean Kemba is Kemba. He's not who he once was. I think he's had a great career. I just I worry about his knee. I worry like what his um what his real ceiling is as a player because he's a little bit of a defensive liability. Love the guy. But Obi's yeah, Obi's my would be my favorite for sure. How about you, Alex? Oh, that's a tough question. Um I think uh I I think it's easy based off of how he's played so far to start the season with the the sporadic effort and whatever to forget how much we loved Julius Randle last year mm-hmm. um, and how like crazy essential he was to this team getting as good as it was and how crazy essential he is to wherever they go now. The other thing too is it's nice knowing that Julius is locked in uh, for like five years because <laughs> it's very rare that we as Knicks fans have that sort of commitment to a player. Yeah. Um, that said, I still think it's it's easier to gravitate towards the young guys because the expectations are lower, you know? So like anything that they do, it's like, it's, it's like people share that people have shared that meme before, you know, with, with, it's like, this is how we talk about the Knicks players. And it's like, uh, you know, it's, it's like the Gordon Ramsay thing where like, you know, so it'll be like Knicks veterans versus Knicks, uh, uh, young players. And it's like the veterans, it's like you stupid donkey or whatever. (laughs) And then, you know, the, the young players, it's like, come here, sweetheart. I love you so much. (laughs) I just want you to succeed. And, you know, it's sort of one of those things where, you know, the young players, you're willing to forgive the mistakes that they make. And therefore I think they're more lovable. So to, to get to the actual answer to the question, I I think I'm still probably rolling with RJ as my number one, because I just see the highest potential for him of anybody. I think, um, then I, I think quickly is probably my number two. Uh, I just really like him. Like, I really like his work ethic and I I love the style that he plays where he's just like super swaggy and and confident in himself and uh, can drop like 20 points in the blink of an eye. uh, If you, if you leave him unchecked and uh, I just, I don't know. I like him a lot. I, I like, I think he's a good interview too. It seems like, like he's very candid. And it's just kind of honest about how much he like loves playing basketball. And that's just kind of like his primary motivation in life. And so what could you not love about a guy like that? Um, and then I'd probably put Obi third um, just cause I mean, local kid, like he's so infectious. Like, I, I don't know if you want to talk about guys where it's like even the non-basketball stuff you love, like Obi just seems so humble and, you know, he's always smiling and no matter, even if he's getting 10 minutes in a game behind Julius Randle and, 
you know, other players could potentially get frustrated by that, especially with how good Obi's been playing. He's always like the first guy to come up and pound Julius's chest or whatever. If he, if he does something big, you know, down the stretch of a game and, you know, congratulate him and, and he just never makes a fuss. I, I kind of like that about all three of them, you know, in the, in the fact that none of them make a fuss at all. They're always just willing to, you know, do whatever is asked to them and hopefully make the most of it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I like a bunch of the other Knicks too. I one nice thing about this team this year is I don't really think there's any unlikable guys, which <laughs> I think has already kind of led to like this weird thing where people don't know who to hate on this year. Cause like <laughs> in other years, there's been such obvious candidates for for really proper reasons. Like, you know, like Alfred Payton just was not a good basketball player. Like, I'm sorry. And, you know, he continued to get minutes, which was really frustrating. Whereas even with like Kemba, with his struggles, with him being one of the the lowest plus minuses on the team and like even in the league right now and stuff like that, it, you still kind of can see these glimpses where you're like, no, I think he's just figuring it out, you know, and eventually he'll he'll become more of a positive this year. And that's pretty much the case with all the guys, you know, Fournier too, Julius, you know, all that. Oh, Mitch too. I, I can't believe I forgot Mitch. Uh, Mitch is probably my number four. Cause he's just a character and I still believe in him. I, I think he's just getting used to his body and has been struggling with nagging injuries and stuff this year. But yeah, I, it, it's no disrespect to the vets and I love them too, but definitely like my top four, as far as guys that I'm like consistently rooting for and like getting up off my couch to like cheer for it's, it's definitely the, the four yeah. core young guys, which is no offense to Grimes or Deuce either, but they just, I don't really see them getting too many chances this year. Yeah. And I believe in those guys too. Uh, Deuce, oh, for sure. Deuce and Grimes. Yeah. Um, they were great. I think they were great draft picks. Uh, it's just, mm-hmm. yeah, we haven't seen them. So, and we probably won't see them this year. Not much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I guess the only, is there any hateable Nick? I don't think so. I mean, I don't know much about Wayne Selden, so maybe, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> um, I mean, I, I guess I could see people hating Fournier or I could see him being hateable, even though I, I like him. I don't know, John, what do you think of Fournier? I I love him. I thought his I thought he was so good in the Olympics. Yeah. Like, um, and last year was so jacked because um I, you know, he got a chance finally on a winning team when he got to Boston and then he get then he got COVID and it sort of wrecked everything. So yeah, I, I feel like he's a guy who's, you know, toiled in obscurity for his whole NBA career. And I've got high hopes for him. I like him. Yeah, another guy I think they just got to figure out. He's got to figure out and the team's got to figure out how to work in his skills to the offense. Yeah. And this yeah. this just to, this chat is having me a little bit more hopeful about the Knicks offense. I mean, I think <laughs> that they will figure it out. And then they could be, I mean, it's a talented team. So they'll be really. This good. is such a small sample size so yeah. far, right? Especially they're probably going to win their next two games, right? Like Orlando and Houston, right? Like get a good shot to two home mm. games there, and then all of a sudden, who knows? And I, I don't think anyone thinks Washington is going to stay on top all season. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, this, I don't know. Everything's a little upside down from what people predicted, and I think it'll level out. I haven't. I actually haven't watched a Washington game yet. And um, until I do, I just, I mean, maybe they are playing really well and this group of talent is really good. I just don't believe it. Yeah. yeah. I, I struggle to think that they are. Yeah. And 
I, but I also struggle to call the next two games games that the Knicks should win because I feel like any time I've said that this year, they lose. So I'm going to say that the the Magic and the Rockets are extremely scrappy and promising young teams <laughs> that the Knicks should not underestimate at all. As, as, a, as a Rockets fan, I will say they are an entertaining team with a lot of future potential. They will yeah. not win many games this year. Yeah, but. yeah. Yeah, I think the Magic worry me more than the Rockets, mostly because we've yeah. already seen the Magic beat the Knicks. So, the Magic you know, are a different you know. team. That's a different yeah. team this year. I don't know, Cole yeah. Anthony. I, mm-hmm. I don't know. Different yeah, Cole, I mean, Cole Anthony's really good. I think you know. I think uh, I, it, he's one of those guys that you can't really make a case like, oh, the Knicks should have drafted him because he went in that sort of no man's land between the you know between the the pick that they used on Obi and the pick that they used on quickly and also Obi and quickly have been great in their own rights so it's it's really hard to like be like oh you know they should have gone after Cole Anthony or whatever but because you were never going to take him at pick eight but I mean he's yeah he's been really good I mean I think that he's kind of he's kind of proven to be one of those cases of a guy who just walked into a really bad situation in college but now the pedigree is finally starting to show through in the pros uh, cause his, his scoring chops are great. I mean, he, his off the bounce stuff is just like crazy. Like his pull-up shooting and everything was like ready to rock the second he stepped on the NBA floor. And I, I remember pre-draft, I was like, I got talked into by a number of guys like on my site, uh, uh that were like, yeah, he's, I think he's better than advertised, you know, or better than, better than was assumed just by looking at his stats and stuff. Like he kind of played through an injury at North Carolina and, um, you know, the team just was terrible. So he was getting loaded up on all the time. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, it was, it was just like a really weird, wacky season where, you know, he, he looked way worse than he actually was via the percentages and stuff. Um, and, you know, he, it, ultimately now I think that just the, the talents shining through of why he was like a top five, you know, high school recruit coming, coming into college. So, yeah, I'm happy for him though. He, he seems like a, seems like a pretty cool kid so it's it's cool to see the magic kind of come up too because that's one of those teams has just been like in the cellar for so well they weren't in the cellar in like the fournier years but they were like trapped in mediocrity mm-hmm. and so it's cool to see them having like a young exciting team to root for that maybe has the potential to be something better than that at some point or another yeah they were hard to root for even when they i mean when they were good when they had dwight howard Cause like mm-hmm. Dwight Howard was just not that likable, but, yeah. Um, but yeah, they've been in purgatory since he left and I, you know, they're still not winning a lot of games, but I feel like they could now when I used to think no. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like I think the blueprints there, which is good. Well, we were talking about the Knicks we love and lovable young Knicks. Um, speaking of which Alex, how many Dallas games have you watched this year? Zero. <laughs> John? No. Okay. Sorry. So, because I'm crazy, I've watched every single Dallas game this year. <laughs> I, I do fast forward through some of the points where Frank's not on the court. But to report back from my my viewing pleasure in Dallas, and unfortunately our friend Frankie the Cat can't join us today. He's working, apparently. Um who works? I know, right? During the day? 
Um, yeah, doesn't everybody watch Knicks games and stay up till 3 a.m. doing things and then wake up at like 10, 30, 11 the next day? Isn't that just everybody's schedule? I, don't know. <laughs> I, I mean, it should be, at least during basketball season. <laughs> yeah. So Frank's been playing really well. I mean, maybe the numbers don't quite bear it out. His three-point percentage, I mean, his form still looks great, and he is hitting more and taking more threes. Uh, it's maybe like 34, 35% right now, and I think it'll get better. But he's he's driving more to the rim, which we haven't we saw a glimpse of when Mike Miller was coach. Um, and he's doing that again, doing a lot of fancy Euro steps, making a lot of great passes. He I think he's emerged as like the eighth man in that rotation when it wasn't necessarily clear he was gonna have a spot in that rotation. Um, that might be pushed back a bit once Maxi Kleba gets back. But yeah, there's like, so the Mavs have their starting five. Um, then they have Jalen Brunson's their obvious sixth man. Uh, Reggie Bullock has kind of been their seventh man, but it's like kind of a, there's a mix of like wings of Reggie, Frank and Sterling Brown. And I mean, Frank has, I think moved ahead of Sterling Brown in that rotation. So he's really earning a spot. And it's just, it's nice to see something he never had in the Knicks where I think the organization top to bottom like wants him there and believes in him and think like, and is, and is behind him and kid seems behind him and seems to trust him. Um, something interesting note, watching all these games um, is the way uh Kid has uses his rotations. Um, it's a lot of mixing and matching with the different wings, and like there's always like a starter out there. He'll sometimes put Frank in for three minutes or Reggie in for three minutes, take them out, and then put him in three minutes later down in the half, which uh, we don't see Tibbs do. Tibbs is kind of a bit more of lo- like gradual hockey line changes. Um, Except maybe last night we saw that a little bit with Derek Rose coming back in late. Alex, do you th- do you think there's anything to Tibbs not being creative enough with his rotations? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I you know he needs to. That's one of the. That's been one of my biggest complaints with him from last year too. Is that he's way too married to this idea of like the starters and the bench you know, and, and them basically having to be shuffled in and out over the course of like two minutes and then never really mixed and matched all that much. I think he needs to get better at that. And, you know, it just like there was some improvement from the starters in the way that they were playing last night, uh, in the way that they were moving the ball and everything. I think there was some cause for optimism, maybe a little bit with Tibbs and maybe that he's taken a look in the mirror as well. Um, because I, I think that the way that he managed the game was pretty smart. You know, he, it, it had all the trappings of, and I mean, this wouldn't have even been a bad thing because like the starters played really crappy in the third quarter again, I think. And, you know, there was, especially like Julius for having three other really good quarters, his third quarter, particularly that one stretch right before he got subbed out. I mean, he was like, he was terrible. I mean, he had like two or three turnovers in the course of like a minute. And, um, you know, it had a, a really bad lapse on defense and just, it looked like he just, his brain shut off. Um, 
And so there would have been cause for kind of doing the same thing that Tibbs did in the the Bucks game, which was leaving all the all the players in um, to try to let them finish off the comeback. And instead, he sort of he took a chance and gradually sort of worked back in some of the starters. And it worked to great effect. You know, it wound up, he did a little bit of small ball with Julius and, and Obi, which went well. He, uh, you know, managed to get Taj a rest in that way. So then Taj could come in and finish off the game with Mitch uh, ailing with the ankle thing. And then like brought RJ back in gradually, but you kind of got the impression that he would have had a quick hook on him if need be. And, you know, he never took quickly a rose out because they were, they were kind of the engines of the whole effort, but his, his mixing and matching of the starters and the bench was promising, I think. And to his credit, he actually tried to do that in the Hornets game too. And I, I viewed that game, the close of that game where the, again, the bench brought the the team all the way back. I saw a lot of people on, on Twitter kind of wringing their hands about like, well, but Tibbs screwed that up because he didn't keep the, the bench in to close the game, like, like versus Milwaukee. And I think that in the Charlotte game, he tried to sort of challenge the starters to be the best players on the team, you know, and to close the game out. And they failed horrendously. They fell flat on their faces when he put Kemba Julius and RJ back in to close that game. Suddenly a tie game turned into a 10 point loss. And, you know, the Julius and and those guys sort of owned that. And so I think that again, you know, this was sort of a challenge in the, uh, in the, the most recent game with versus the Pacers, but they passed. But I also think that Tibbs did a good job of sort of starting that integration process earlier to give him a chance to potentially throw the bench players back out there uh, to close the game, which like he did with Rose, for example, he gave him a little rest from early in the fourth quarter and then brought him back to close the game. And it worked really good. He looked a lot more fresh. Um, So I I think that that's going to be key for him going forward, but there was some progress in the Pacers game of, him being more willing to experiment with stuff like that. I just wish that he would, he would bring that into the end of halves as well. Cause I think that you should treat each half almost like its own little game. You know, like you don't want to have like first half procedure and, and end game procedure. Uh, I think that there should be some of that mixing and matching in the first half as well. And, you know, he, he at his best, I think did that a little bit last year too. Like one really interesting strategic move that he would make last year Early on, it seemed like he would have Julius and RJ both play the whole first quarter pretty often. But then at a certain point in the season, he started deciding, okay, let's bring Obi in and have Julius actually be the first sub out. And, you know, that allows you to then bring Julius back in potentially earlier in the second quarter, which then allows him to play more against bench units, which allows him to just roast them. Or you're tiring out the opposing starters if they left their starting power forward in too long in the first quarter and then have to bring him in to defend Julius in the second quarter, then you're tiring out the other team's guys and potentially giving them tired legs to end the half. So, you know, I, I think there are other ways that Tibbs can still get better with it. Uh, but I do think that, you know, the Pacers game, like with a lot of things was an encouraging sign from Tibbs as far as rotations. And hopefully he just like the players can sort of learn from his, his shortcomings and start putting together some better coaching performances as we go forward here, uh, which honestly I'm, I'm hopeful because he hasn't really given me too many reasons to doubt him to this point. So, yeah. Yeah. It's seeing, seeing what he did with Rose in the second half last night was really promising. And mm-hmm. 
I think that's kind of the theme of this season so far is just there's a lot of new pieces and it's kind of figuring out how it all works together. And I think I think they'll be they'll be in the mix come the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, John, do you have any questions? Yeah, about on the, the experimenting or? thing, I think it's um, I think it's been a shortcoming of Tibbs as well, but I think it was it's a shortcoming of a lot of coaches, quite honestly. And before last year, it was a huge short shortcoming for Budenholzer, right? Yeah, yeah. Like Coach Bud was not, he did not use the regular season to experiment. He used the regular season to pile up victories and he changed that last year. And then come playoff time, they were a third seed instead of a one seed and they were able to run the table. Um, and I think, um, I don't know that Jason Kidd's experiments are, coming from a place of brilliance or a place of <laughs> randomness. I honestly, I still I have no take on kid as a, as a coach, despite multiple stops, because it seems like the, it's like, Oh, people love him. Oh, now they want him out. And he's yeah. Some stuff has not been very good, but I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. And if he uses the experiments and then takes this team all the way, you know, and wins around in the playoffs, then credit to him because they haven't went around the playoffs in a decade. Right. Um, so, so yeah, I think, I think that's, um, something that Tibbs, uh, could do better and hopefully will. It seems like maybe he's, he's, um, open to experimenting because that's what you have to do with new pieces too. Unfortunately, you gotta, you gotta play around with them and see where they all, where they all fit. Yeah. And actually, um, kid has, not to make this a Dallas pod, but he has played he who shall not be named at the five quite a bit more than I thought he was going to because that that man. Well, like the issue was to. they can't keep him healthy if he plays at the five, right? right. Like that's their concern. Right. But then he can't stay healthy anyway, so you might as well <laughs> play him at the five. I don't know. I mean, the big problem with playing him at the five is that he can't rebound, and that mm. a you know a shooting guard can push him around. You know, that's always been the issue, even back to the Knicks. You yeah. know, it's like he put on all these all this weight gain and whatever. But I mean, where we saw Mitchell Robinson, for example, like he put on his weight and now can hang with like, you know, the biggest dudes in the league. Uh, Porzingis put on his, you know, vanity muscles and still couldn't do anything. Uh, you know, he pretty much worked his biceps. <laughs> whatever (laughs) his beach that was it yeah exactly he's you know just the vanity it's you look at his trainer it all makes sense like the guy's like a freaking roided up meathead (laughs) um but yeah i mean i i think i i think you know my maybe jason kidd is figuring things out i think that he's sort of succeeding in spite of himself right now Mm -hmm. um i i don't think he's a very good coach i think it'll come to light sooner than later i mean you look at certain indicators for their team like i was actually looking something up for a piece on the knicks the other day and realized that dallas is dead last in the nba and passes per game this year uh by like a wide margin <laughs> like like over a hundred less almost than than the uh the leader this year which obviously you know with Doncic being as good as he is you want him to have the ball in his hands all the time and he does a lot of iso scoring and stuff like that but that still doesn't really portend well for the team going forward. I don't think, because if you hit the playoffs and you're one of the last place teams in passes per game and your, your team is not used to generating looks for each other, 
then if a team comes in with a good scheme to stop Doncic, you're screwed. There's no plan B at that point. So, yeah, I guess we'll see. But I am I am glad you know that that Frank is is doing well there at the very least. Uh, he's probably the former Nick on that team. The, the only one that I would say that I truly care to see them succeed that much. Tim Hardaway, I, I don't harbor any dislike towards, but you know that's fine. I guess I, yeah. that he's doing well and earned a new contract and whatever. But I guess I, I unfortunately he's probably ended up in Frank being a career Mav because they liked him all the way back to the draft. So they're probably going to hit him with a, a new contract at the end of this year if he proves to be a, a valuable piece of their rotation, which will sting a little bit. But you know whatever, I'm I'm happy for the kid. I I hope he does well for his career. While simultaneously, I hope that he never wins anything of significance because that would mean the Mavericks win something of yeah. well maybe he could out his stay and Dallas will outlast Chris Stapp's stay and then I don't really care I kind of just despise the Mavs as an yeah, organization so <laughs> same here yeah I mean I hate Mark Cuban yeah. I hate that that yeah. whole thing came out about the rampant sexual harassment in the organization and nobody batted an eye uh yeah you know I don't know. It's, and the worst uh, was like the next year they won some like award for yeah. most inclusive yeah. <laughs> work workplace or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Terrible. I mean, they're just, yeah. The league and the media and whatever love Cuban. And, and so I think that they sort of just are immune to criticism in that respect, which irks me as well. So yeah, yeah I just, I don't like them very much. I've also grown to hate Harrellabub. Um Oh yeah. That we, guy sucks. Yeah. That guy's terrible. Yeah, like when I used to hear him on podcasts, I thought he was really funny. But then just seeing how he's like talks about or oh, reading the stories about how he interacted with a bunch of the players. And then he's just such a dick on social media. And he's mm-hmm. now a crypto nut, which we were yeah. <laughs> kind of getting out yeah. for. Ah! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, Alex, anything you'd like to plug? Uh, I'll just do my usual rap sheet. Um yeah, you could follow me on Twitter at the Alex Wolf. Uh, you could uh, check out the Strickland. Obviously, uh, the Strict Land is the URL at the Strickland on Twitter. If you're not following us already, follow us. We're really close to ten thousand followers. That would be a nice feather in my cap uh, to say that we managed to get there in, in just about a year's time. Um, yeah. Also, uh, locked on Knicks at locked on Knicks on Twitter. Available on YouTube now. So check that out if you want um clutch points i've been writing there so check out my work there and yeah that's pretty much it uh other than that i don't, I don't really have any other like external things to plug at the moment so I'll, I'll just leave it at my personal uh rap sheet there yeah those are good things <laughs> to plug john any internal external plugs or no, thoughts? Nothing, to, nothing to plug just to use just be good to each other out there holidays coming up think of other people before yourselves Maybe get vaccinated. I don't know. Oh, definitely get vaccinated. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll back that up yeah. 100%. Stop listening to Joe Rogan. Stop uh, listening to Joe Rogan. There are plenty of podcasts yeah. out there. Yeah, oh, such as uh, the Str- <laughs> Pod Strickland's Locked on Knicks and Larry No Sports. And you could subscribe to Larry No Sports wherever you get your podcasts. I'm at Larry the Athlete on all social media. May all your dreams be hoop dreams, and may the rest of your days be days of thunder. 